Hello and welcome to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. Sometimes when you discover a new poet, having read several of their poems, you then realise that they write prose stuff, they write criticism, and you go off and have a look at that. Sometimes it throws light on their particular poetry and sometimes on poetry in general. With today's poet, Don Patterson, things were the other way around. I bought what I'm going to describe as a big fat book called... um, I want to get the title exactly right, so I'm going to open up and get it. It's called The Poem Lyric Sign Meter. And it's about poetry in all its aspects. And... When I looked, I found it, I'll be honest, I hope if Don Patterson ever hears this, he won't be upset to know that it was in a second-hand shop, although it was an Oxfam shop, so my purchase of it helped someone down the line. But I had a look at the preface to see what it would be like, and it warned me in the preface that the second section of the book, called Sign, is, as, um, as Don Patterson explains, necessarily and miserably dense. And I thought, this is the book for me. So I got that with the same spirit of challenge that I bought G.K. Chesterton's Best Of on eBay, having read a review that said, boring and old-fashioned. I thought, this is the book for me. Anyway, Don Patterson's The Poem Lyric Sign meter is very much not boring and old-fashioned and I think then when I started reading his poetry it gave me a confidence in him that he was worth pursuing and that if I didn't find my way through a poem immediately I would do and the search would be worthwhile. Which brings me to probably Don Patterson's most famous poem and it's called Rain. And it was written in 2009. It was the, um, the title poem of a collection called Rain by Don Patterson from that year. I'm going to jump straight in. I will tell you, though, in the, in the spirit of the Don Patterson preface to that big fat poetry book that it took me a long time and the work is ongoing to understand the end of this poem. and But I am convinced that, that it contains truth and brilliance. And I have a theory, which um, is my current theory. That's what I'm going to call it. Here goes. I'm going to give you the first four stanzas of rain. I love all films that start with rain. Rain braiding a window pane, or darkening a hung-out dress, or streaming down her upturned face. One big thundering downpour, right through the empty script and score, before the act, before the blame, before the lens pulls through the frame, to where the woman sits alone beside a silent telephone, or the dress lies ruined on the grass, or the girl walks off the overpass, and all things flow out from that source 
along their fatal water course. However bad or overlong, such a film can do no wrong. So it's about films on the surface at least. That opening line is a bit of a corker, isn't it? I love all films that start with rain. That's what I would call a grabem opener because it throws up so many questions. I love all films that start with rain. Obviously, first of all, I'm trying to think of a film that starts with rain. But also I'm thinking, can anyone love all films that start with rain? Really? Is that the criteria for loving films? And it's because this is poetry where you just know that poets don't make casual statements and that poets expect, and I'll I'll give you a quote from Don's big fat book, where he says that poets expect and poetry requires hypersensitive reading. And that's what I love about poetry. This is me talking now. I love hypersensitive reading, the constant looking for clues, sounds that might mean something, line breaks, not even just the words, but that depth of investigation, that magnifying glass reading is what I love. I love all films that start with rain, then can't be a throwaway line. This is a poet. It's the opening line of a poem. He must really mean it in some way, the speaker. Okay, we'll come back to that. I love all films that start with rain, rain braiding a window pane. And first of all, I think we're thinking, ah, it rhymes, this poem, in a sort of a uh, sort of eight beats to the bar kind of way. I love all films that start with with rain. So it's that I ams, four I ams, light stress, heavy stress, de-dom, 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 de-dom. I love all films that start with rain. Rain braiding a window pane. Braiding as in sort of uh, interlocking strands like braided hair, for example. And we've all watched rain run down a window pane and thought how beautiful that is. Or darkening a hung-out dress or streaming down her upturned face. So he's on about some of the things you see Rain doing in films. Braiding a window pane, darkening a hung-out dress. And darkening, of course, is always, for the hypersensitive reader, a word that makes you think, oh yes, bringing darkness in some way, not just making the dress wet and therefore darker, or streaming down her upturned face. No need to name or identify this woman. It's a her from a film. And he says her, I think, because we involve ourselves with the characters in films and we speak of them as if they were real people. One thing you might notice about or darkening a hung out dress or streaming down her upturned face is that that isn't as regular and as perfect a rhyme as rain and window pane. 
It's um, our old friend Slant Rhyme, which we spoke of particularly in the Emily Dickinson podcast. Rhyme, half rhyme, near rhyme, rhyme that doesn't quite overlap. So not rain and pain, but dress and face. It's got a similar ending sound, but it doesn't quite rhyme properly. And that usually makes you feel a little uncertain. And this stanza, starting with such positivity, I love all films that start with rain. Having a slant rhyme in the same stanza just undermines that a little. Something a little bit unsettling about that. Okay. Next stanza, one big thundering downpour right through the empty script and score before the act, before the blame, before the lens pulls through the frame. So, one big thundering downpour. We know that he loves that because he's already told us. By the way, when he says, I love all films that start with rain, many of you would have noticed that this poem is called Rain. Thus, it is a poem which begins with rain. So, I'm not saying we should equate films and poetry, but if we were just kicking ideas around in our early reading of this poem, it's interesting. I love all films that start with rain. In a poem that starts with rain, that's all I'm saying. Okay. One big thundering downpour right through the empty script and score. Okay, the word that's screaming at me here is empty. Does he mean that it's worthless? Empty, devoid of any real meaning? Or does he mean as yet silent? Because remember, this is the beginning of the film. So we probably haven't had any script and maybe not even score, not even music. Another thing I remember from uh, Don's big fat book, which I'm calling uh, to avoid confusion with the slim volume, Don Patterson's selected poems, which I'm reading this actual poem from. But in the big fat book, Don points out that he hates, like myself, hate is probably too strong, but the setting of poetry to music, I've always been very much an on-fan of. And as he says in the Big Fat Book, poetry comes with its own music, and we've already talked about it here. Four feet, eight beats, unstressed, stressed to the bar, and rhyme, be it perfect or slant. That is the music of poetry. It doesn't need an acoustic guitar and a flute break in the middle. One big thundering downpour right through the empty script and score. Before the act, before the blame, before the lens pulls through the frame. So we see the rain coming down in this film before the act before the blame before the lens pulls through the frame as he says right through the empty script and score it seems there's no words yet there's no music before the act and i think that refers both to the writing of the film as in act one and also 
acting in the film, the actual performance of the film. Before the, before the blame, I think the blame is the storyline, the, the narrative of the film, who is blamed, who is blamed by who, is it correct, etc. Before the lens pulls through the frame. And so before the technological stuff starts, the technique, before the form takes over. If we were going through with this idea that he might be also referring to poetry as well as films, then right through the empty script and score, before the act, before the blame would mean before the words, before the substance of the poem, before the lens pulls through the frame would mean before the technique, the most, and before I think as in priority, there's something bigger going on than just the words and the meter. I'm still exploring here, so don't expect too much detail on that at this point. It will be like that lens pull that he describes. A lens pull often goes from a big wide into a tight shot. So that's what happens with poetry, I think, generally. You get a sense that there is something beautiful and important in this big wide shot at the beginning of the poem, and then you tighten and tighten your focus. So what do we see when that lens pour happens, when the focus tightens? What does it tighten on? Here's the answer. To where the woman sits alone beside a silent telephone, or the dress lies ruined on the grass, or the girl walks off the overpass. So this is back referring to some of the stuff in that first stanza. Uh, the woman sitting alone beside a silent telephone. Maybe she was looking through that window pane braided with rain, I don't know. But certainly the dress that we saw hung out and darkening now lies ruined on the grass. And um, that female, that her, who had rain streaming down her upturned face, her upturned face now seems to have walked off the overpass, thus falling to at least severe injury, one would have thought. So these are the ideas of the film coming out now, not the big opening shot but now we're getting into the the meat of what that film contains i i, I would say by the way and i'm going to probably keep quoting from the big fat book i'll say it's proper title again i can just never remember the extra bit i just remember the poem the poem lyric sign meter one thing that it says in there is that um pushing an idea through a rhyme pattern is like straining fruit pulp through muslin. And I don't know if you've ever done, but you know muslin is that fabric with holes in it that you can use to sort of dry stuff out. People put it over half lemons in nice restaurants. And he's saying that the ideas that you've got that, that fires the whole poem, in order to turn it into a rhyme scheme you have to squeeze it through just to get the juice and leave the pulp within. I think that is 
what he's saying. Okay, so I think that's working pretty well in this rhyme scheme. Why the poem rhymes will come to a little later. All these things are decisions. I love all films that start with rain. That just doesn't happen. The poet just thinks, how do I want to start this poem? And then deliberates over that until he finds or she finds the answer. There's a bit of enjambment here. So we go in from that stanza and the sentence continues into the next. I'll give you a bit of the last. Or the dress lies ruined on the grass or the girl walks off the overpass and all things flow out from that source along their fatal water course. So, and all things flow out from that source along their fatal water course. Now that source, I don't know, it sounds, doesn't it, because it produces a water course, that it's the rain. All things flow out. Again, you hear a phrase like all things, and you think, yes, all things in this poem, but it'll mean all things in life and in the world. And I think in And All Things Flow Out From That Source Along Their Fatal Watercourse is what happens in a film. Some initial thing happens and all the other stuff follows on. And in life, all things flow out from that source along their fatal watercourse. You could say that was a very big statement about life in that we all came from water originally if you accept evolution as i think most people do and we continued along that fatal water course we're all going to die and we follow life's path feeling like we are somehow navigating somehow holding the steering wheel but probably we're just following the run of that water. That came over a bit grander than I meant it to, but I think this is a poem that is talking about films, but it's talking about very big things indeed, like all good poetry. And all things flow out from that. I'm going to take that back. I think it's fine for a poem to be about very trivial things. I just don't think this is an example of that. And all things flow out from that source along their fatal watercourse. However bad or overlong such a film can do no wrong. Can he possibly mean that? That as long as a film starts with rain... It doesn't matter if it's bad or overlong, such a film can do no wrong. And this is the hypersensitive reading then. I think then you start thinking, what does he mean by do no wrong? Is it the regular use of that term in that it'll be great, whatever? Or is this something else going on? And it's like, as I said with the first line, this can't just be empty like the script and the score might be. This is a poet talking. However bad or overlong, such a film can do no wrong. In what way? Does it mean it can't do any wrong because it ultimately doesn't matter? Does it mean that it can't do 
any wrong because it doesn't have the power to do anything. If he's saying that, and he is somehow equating it with poetry, and of course, as I see him, I see Don Patterson slightly as my poetry teacher because I read the big fat book, which is all about poetry. Maybe I'm looking for too much stuff about poetry in his poetry, but can he, would he ever say that a poem that begins with rain, however bad or over long, such a poem can do no wrong? Could he say that? I think this must be saying that they, the film can do no wrong because it has no power and perhaps can not do anything. I may have other theories before the end of this poem. Okay, so the next two stanzas. So now I think we find out how the speaker copes when uh, the film is bad or over long. And he, first of all, he gives first stanza, explains how it might go wrong, and the next one, how he copes with it. I'll just give you that lead in again. However bad or over long, such a film can do no wrong. So when his native twang shows through, or when the boom dips into view, or when her speech starts to betray its adaptation from the play, I think to when we opened cold on a starlit gutter running gold with the neon of a drugstore sign and I'd read into its blazing line colon and then we're going to get the end in which I, um, I can't take on on my own. I need you to hold my hand. Okay, so, so I think these are fabulously rich and inventive examples of how a film can go wrong. So when his native twang shows through, and again, he's using that his like he used or streaming down her upturned face. It's just the actor, the character. We don't need names. So when his native twang shows through, so this guy's obviously doing an accent in the film and it's just gone slightly wrong. Or when the boom dips into view, you know, the boom microphone. Don't see it much now, but in the old days, you'd occasionally see it just dropping down, just visible at the top of the screen. Or when her speech starts to betray its adaptation from the play. I love that so much. So it was a play originally, and in the adaptation... The writer hasn't made it quite filmic enough and it's left, it's left a bit theatrical and when that play dialogue is evident, it feels a bit false and a bit too much because theatre is like a statue. You make it bigger so that it appears the right size from a distance. That's not in the poem, that's something I read somewhere. So when his native twang shows through, I think if this was about poetry, you could say that's when the language of the poem sounds a bit a bit wrong, a bit wrong for the context of the poem. Or when the boom dips into view would be when the technique, the meter, the rhyme or whatever is a bit too overt and a bit too intrusive, a bit too off-putting and distracting. 
And when her speech starts to betray its adaptation from the play, I'd say that's sometimes when a poem feels sort of non-organic, when it feels like there are things in it that have been lifted from a, a notebook and hanging around for a while and the poet doesn't want to waste it because this is the age of recycling, but sometimes it doesn't quite fit. Either way, I think those four lines are a brilliant description of how a film can go wrong in sort of minor little ways. A bit of an accent issue, uh, uh, a boom mic in the top of picture, etc. So what does he do? What does the speaker do when the film does indeed turn out to be bad or over long and all these things are going wrong? That, that, sorry, that's me rhyming accidentally. This is what he does. I think to when we opened cold. Cold, I think, pre-words. If you remember, he spoke about that. About that big thundering downpour right through the empty script and score. So right at the beginning of the film, before the act and the blame, before things started happening and people started acting and the story fell into place. I think to when we opened cold on a starlit gutter running gold with the neon of a drugstore sign and I'd read into its blazing line and I'm about to come to that. This is a bit more detail about that opening of the film. We knew it was raining but we didn't know we got a shot of a gutter and the reflection of a neon sign in a nearby drugstore. It's a, now it becomes a bit more of a sort of predictable opening for a film that's going to be talking maybe about the darker side of life. But listen to this. I think to when we open cold on a starlit gutter running gold. So he's talking about a gutter, which traditionally is something you talk of as a symbol of lowness. We might be in the gutter, but we can look at the stars, etc., uh, etc. Et if you're in the gutter, that's as bad as it gets. But this is a starlit gutter running gold with the neon of a drugstore sign, and I'd read into its blazing line. So the light on this wet gutter, on this rain running down the gutter, makes the whole thing beautiful. Starlit, running gold. I mean, is it starlit or is it neon lit? Who cares? It just it looks beautiful, and it's been made beautiful by something artificial probably not stars not very likely is it i think that might be a reference to the oscar while we're in the gutter but we're looking at the stars this is lit artificially by neon and artifice is one of the things that this poem talks about i think i think everything is great with the film until people start talking and acting and moving the camera about when the artifice begins okay there's a lot here i think for a start off the idea that when the film is going wrong he goes back to that 
opening scene and I'd read into its blazing line. He seems to be imposing a meaning on this which isn't apparent at all. And is that how he handles it? And I think there's a there's a couple of fallacies I'm tempted to bring up here. The intentional fallacy, and that is that the author knows the meaning of the poem and that is the correct meaning we've discussed that before can i say another quote from the big fat book for anyone playing the game of poetry with the serious personal commitment it asks of them there can only be one true interpretation their own And I think we're getting an example of this here. This doesn't sound like a great film. I'm not aching to see this film. But he is finding something starlit, something gold and something blazing in it. Also, I think the pathetic fallacy you can't help thinking of. We've spoken of that before in these uh, podcasts. When the weather reflects the mood of the speaker or of the character involved, as if the whole universe is bending to your subjective emotions. And I don't know if that's going on here, but when I see rain in a film, I personally think, oh, they're trying to make us feel sad, maybe trying to make us feel that whatever you do, in life and whatever you try to make happen, rain will always come along and it is random and unfathomable and uncontrollable and it will wash you out if the universe decrees it. That's what I think. So here we are. Let's just look at the beginning of of this uh, again. Okay, so This is a speaker who says, I love all films that start with rain. An enormous opening thing to say. Rain braiding a wind. So then he talks about how you see rain. And he likes it through the empty script and score before people start doing their stuff, before they start putting the meaning in, before the act, before the blame before the lens pull through the frame. So before the technique starts, before the content, that's what he likes, pre-content movies. He likes movies on the wide, not in the close-up. That's how it seems to me. And, of course, he likes rain. I'm going to go to the end in there. And remember, this is what he says. I think to when we open cold on a starlit gutter running goal with the neon of a drugstore sign and I'd read into its blazing line, forget the ink, the milk, the blood, all was washed clean with the flood. We rose up from the falling waters, the fallen rains own sons and daughters And none of this, none of this matters. And then it ends. So, forget the ink, the milk, the blood, all was washed clean with the flood. We rose up from the falling waters, the fallen rains, own sons and daughters. 
there's a bit of uh, an Old Testament feel to this. For me, once I've got four lines that include flood and fall, and I'm, uh, I'm in the Old Testament. I can't stop myself. Now, Don Patterson is not in the strict meaning of the word, a religious writer. But I think this is, even for an atheist writer, this is a sort of a spiritual statement, at least. I think... Let's listen to that first bit. Forget the ink, the milk, the blood. Now, let's think, what do they symbolise? Forget the ink. I think that's about writing, isn't it? Maybe the writer of that film, maybe the writer of this poem, maybe any attempt by humanity to put meaning, to interpret, to make a shape out of what seems to be a shapeless universe. Maybe that. Forget the ink, the milk. Milk, I would associate with sort of life, mother's milk and the life force itself. The blood, death, suffering, pain. So forget the ink, the milk, the blood. If this was um, a sort of highbrow quiz show on BBC Two, someone would say, what do these have in common? I think they're all associated with spillage. Spill ink, you know, ink blots, um, mistakes, spilt blood, death, violence, warfare, and uh, spilt milk. Maybe we could apply what people say about spilt milk to all of this. Uh, Not worth crying about so forget the ink the milk the blood forget all those things that can go wrong forget the things that we try to make sense of forget all was washed clean with the flood now i don't know if he's referring to the biblical flood but i don't think a poet as good as patterson would use a term the flood if he didn't want us to think of that. We rose up from the falling waters. We, I think humanity, we rose up from the falling waters. And I think he likes that contradiction of us rising up from falling waters, that sort of opposite of rising and falling. I'm sure he's enjoying that and I'm enjoying it and I hope you are. We rose up from the falling waters. Now, if you take the Old Testament version, the earth was sort of wiped out to cleanse it of sin. And then a whole new generation began. A whole new humanity began. So there is a cleansing that's happened there. In that way, we rose up from the falling waters. But also scientifically, we as a species come from the water so it's got that bigness to it as well. The fallen rains own sons and daughters. And that is a stunning line, I think. A beautiful line. That's who we are. The fallen rains own sons and daughters. So the rain fell down, created the seas, and we rose from them. And none of this, none of this matters. Now that is the line that has haunted me ever since I first read this poem. I 
don't believe that Don Patterson is doing a sort of Freddie Mercury, nothing really matters, anyone can see. If you read the rest of that collection, Rain, and the rest of the collection in my hand, the selected poems, this isn't a man who doesn't think anything else matters. So it's a bit like such a film can do no wrong. There's something else going on. Why can such a film do no wrong? I think such a film can do no wrong because it exists, because it happened, because someone made it, because it's an example of humanity, the fallen rain's own sons and daughters doing things, trying to give meaning, trying to tell stories. I feel all of that. That's why I love all films that start with rain, blah, 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 blah. Because a film that starts with rain has just got that correctness about it because we started with rain. And I think, yeah, I'm not happy with that um, explanation either, but I'll come back to it. I think he's saying... Forget the ink, the milk, the blood. Forget all the mistakes and all the failings of humanity. People make stuff, and that's brilliant, isn't it? People write poetry, and that's brilliant, isn't it? I think that last line, and none of this, none of this matters, is not part of... The four lines, forget the ink, the milk, the blood, all was washed clean with the flood. We rose up from the falling waters, the falling rain's own sons and daughters. That is one of the four line, eight syllable, generally speaking, rhyming stanzas that run throughout the poem. The last line is a stanza on its own. There's an attempt, and I use that, phrase ironically because I think Don Patterson knows what he's doing to rhyme matters with waters and daughters but it's another slant rhyme the first stanza ended with a slant rhyme and this is ending with a slant rhyme in other words there's something wrong here it's not a perfect rhyme what are you there's something wrong feel the unease of this slant rhyme and then try and work out why you should feel uneasy and here's what I think there are two possibilities for the last line being on its own being isolated being a slant rhyme with the end of the previous stanza and also being 11 syllables it doesn't fit it's ugly and doesn't feel like part of the poem I think there are two reasons it's separated two I can think of there may be more I think first of all because it's not just a comment on forget the ink, the milk, the blood. So it's not just those mistakes we make in life. None of this, none of this matters. I don't think it's just referring to that. It could be. I don't think it is. I think it's separated because none of this, it's the this. What is the this? Well, it could be the ink, the milk, the blood. It could be all human striving to shape, to interpret, to analyse life. It could be saying that none of that matters. That this poem, 
doesn't matter. That rain, the collection that this is from, that doesn't matter. That the selected poems, this is the last poem in the book. So this is a book of fantastic poetry, Don Patterson's selected poems. And the last line in the last poem says, and none of this, none of this matters. Now that's not an accident. Is he saying that not just this book, this poem, that all poetry, none of it matters, all creativity, none of it matters. That's one reason that that last line might be on its own, because it's pointing back at everything, not just this particular poem. I favour the second interpretation. I think it's separated because Don Patterson actually delights in the storytelling humanity, no matter the shortfall, no matter if it's a bad film or a bad poem. He doesn't care about the fail. I think he loves that even the gotter can be starlit and running gold and blazing. And we rose from the falling. You know, that we came from failure, what sounds like failure. I think the last line condemns itself. I think the unmetrical, the onrhyme of it can't spoil the glorious rain and its glorious sons and daughters. That's that's what I think. And I think that there's something exciting about the striving. Even the fakery of poetry, for example. And yeah, of course it's involved in fakery. That's why this poem rhymes, I think. I think he's making that point. It's an artefact. He has shaped an idea to make it prettier and, and to make it more interesting, just the way that filmmakers shape the story. But in fact, maybe there's no real shape to life. Maybe we impose that. But what if we do? It's fine. I mean, that rain that he loves at the beginnings of films, that's never real rain, is it? It's always one of those big hose things that they just start pouring down. I don't think it matters. I think he's saying there's glory in our reaching in our epic fails. And I don't think it matters if this is a rubbish film. It's about people. It's about people doing stuff. And forget the ink, the milk, the blood. Forget any mistakes. Forget the heartbreak. All washed clean with the flood. So there's something bigger than that. Bigger than the details. Bigger than the script bigger than the score, bigger than the acting, bigger than the boom coming into picture. There's something bigger than that. We rose up from the falling waters, the fallen rain's own sons and daughters. And none of this, none of this matters. None of the on-rhyme, none of the nihilism, none of that can really matter can really change the fact that people are wondrous and I think the film can do no wrong because it was made it's someone aspired to do it and this poem is also 
A structured creation but is beautiful. That's what I think the ending means. You may have a completely different one. Don Patterson probably has a completely different one as well. But as we know, that doesn't make any difference. We're not bothered by that. In the big fat book, yes, I'm calling it that again, he describes a poem as a meaning-infused aesthetic experience. I hope this podcast was that. I would. I know I always recommend you to read these poems, but honestly, virtually any Don Patterson is worth reading. The Selected Poems is obviously a greatest hits album, and that's always a good way to start. But he is special. Thanks for listening to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. Don't forget to follow so you never miss an episode. And you can also catch me every Saturday at 8am on Absolute Radio. There'll be less poetry in that, but more jokes. See you next week.